today on 2C Vans. Um, so treatments were elephant-sized enemas, lots and lots of laxatives. Uh, to do a single treatment for her, I had to go to the drugstore routinely to get different types of laxatives and psyllium or, you know, some people might be familiar with uh, Bisacodal, which is Dolcolax, you know, mm -hmm. which is one of the common just laxative brands that you could get. A single dose for her was about 65 Packets. Dolcolax individual pills. Whoa. So, Hello and welcome to 2C Fans at Moat Marine Laboratory, your podcast for marine science, education, and conservation here at Moat in Sarasota, Florida. I'm Haley Rutger. And I am Joe Nicholson. Welcome, Joe. Welcome, Are you Haley. excited about our guest today? I'm very excited. I'm always excited to have a, a veterinarian that doesn't eat meat. Veterinarian? Uh -huh. Yeah, don't, uh -huh. they don't eat meat, right? I don't know, Joe. Oh, that's vegetarian. Sorry. <laughs> Some of them probably don't. Um, but we're going to introduce our wonderful guest today. Um, can you tell us your name and your remote title, please? Uh, my name is Dr. Whitney Green, and I am the veterinarian at Moat Marine Laboratory and Aquarium. It sounds like a big job. That would be a huge job. <laughs> <laughs> you, you are the veterinarian, so you're, you're in charge of the health of all of the animals. Yeah. That, that's, that's a big responsibility. It's a lot of animals, but it's yeah. also very fun. Yeah. Okay. And very rewarding. Mm-hmm. And uh, where are you originally from? Where, where were you born and where did you kind of go to school and all that? So I'm from New England. I was born and raised between Massachusetts and New Hampshire, um, Cape Cod area and the beaches and then also the White Mountains of New Hampshire. So grew up skiing and exploring the salt marsh. Uh, uh -huh. I went to college in Connecticut and I did my master's there and then I went to veterinary school out in California. So I've kind of been all over. Um, what school in California? Uh, Western University, which is down in Southern California, pretty close to LA area. Okay. So that was quite a change um, from my, my my Boston roots. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, turning into a SoCal girl. The opposite corner of the country. A little different. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> well, Haley was a banana slug, if that makes you Northern feel California for a little while. I went from the southeast to the northwest. So yeah. I did the opposite. Yeah. Yeah, that's an interesting mascot. Well, they, yeah, right? The banana slug? Have you ever given veterinary care to a slug? I, 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 can't, I can't say that I have. Okay. But I'm sure, they need, I'm sure they need care, too. So, you know, you have never treated a slug? Is that right? I cannot say I've ever treated a slug. Maybe, I, maybe you will someday. I mean, <laughs> you've had such a good um, variety of species, at least from what I've heard about you so far. Can you tell us about just roughly how many and what some of them have been? Sure. Yeah, no, all creatures great and small. That's uh, my motto and what I believe. Probably over, definitely over 100 species by now. Um, hard to put an exact number on it. But I came from a zoo in New England, you know, where had all sorts of animals, aquatics, but also elephants and a lot of your large carnivores, um, tons and tons of birds, and have some experience in wildlife. Yeah, so definitely over 100. Probably the largest was the elephants I yeah. worked with. Um, yeah, that's a big animal. And the smallest are probably some of these teeny, teeny little fish. Uh, <laughs> and frogs. Frogs can be very little, too. So. Yes. Yeah, especially the tree ones. Quite a quite a variety. Yeah. It's it, the question is how you treat something that small and delicate without you know I w I would feel like I would break it <laughs> very right? carefully. Yeah, <laughs> it's you know you're afraid you're gonna you know, break the little ones and then you're afraid the big ones are gonna break you. 
Yeah, yeah, no, it's it's quite different when you're working with the yeah, no, an animal that's very breakable um, compared to something that's very large. Yeah, no, we had a some tiny little songbirds uh, that came in from a shipment and just from, you know, just from when the handlers, you know, took them out, you know, they would be, they broke a leg, you know, and then it's how do we, how do you fix a tiny little toothpick of a leg? Well, you fix it with toothpicks. Really? Literally use like a toothpick or I've used um, like a cotton, cotton swab like that type of material and you can use that to splint a leg whereas if you're working with a cow you're going to use more of a pvc pipe uh, uh, yeah. so <laughs> you definitely have to be a little bit innovative in the role uh, that's the first lesson of i guess uh, veterinary work is uh you may not have devices ready made for your animal you one size does not. not fit all that's no. absolutely true <laughs> so so uh, it, can you remember a case that was really interesting or challenging to give people a more What's specific the weirdest idea? one okay or weird a more specific idea of just like the bird, um, you know, what's one of the most interesting you've had? I'll tell you the story of Ruth. Uh, so Ruth is a 60-year-old uh, Asian elephant, mm-hmm. and she was my first case, as well as my largest case, as well as my most complicated and scary fate case as okay, well. Okay, so they just threw you a large elephant with a scary problem. Pretty, pretty much. So I had, I had just started my my job at the zoo. And I was actually at a conference. Uh, I was only about three weeks into the job, and I was at a zoo veterinary conference. My first time attending the zoo veterinary conference, too, which is a little bit daunting because you've got a lot of very, very smart people that you want to impress. And Ruth stopped eating. And when an elephant stops eating, it's not a good sign. And not only did she stop eating, she also stopped pooping, which Ooh. is really, really bad. Mm-hmm. Um, so Unless you're that guy that has to clean up the poop. Unless, yes, unless you're the person has to clean that up. Um, but ultimately, I had to fly back, uh, fly back from the conference, and we flew in an elephant expert and monitored the case. Um, but she did not eat, and she did not defecate for over a week. Oh, man. Uh, and being an older elephant, um, you know, you don't think that that's going to be a simple colic. You know, or colic is like a, you know, stomach pain. It's not mm-hmm. something simple in an older animal. So we were all thinking the worst was going to happen, you know, but this was round-the-clock care. We were doing elephant-sized enemas, which, to give you an idea, uh, you use a garden hose, um, and you probably go up seven, eight feet-ish, even more. I mean, so, yeah, about the whole size thing and needing to apply different types of tools for things. I mean, it's a little (laughs) bit different with an elephant. Um, And then, what do I guess you just run after you've, put it in you, well i had being being six feet tall with thin arms i had the wonderful job of being the one to do the enemas oh. and to <laughs> with gloves <laughs> with, with lots of gloves oh. and very very large i'd gloves. want a face shield <laughs> body glove. Full, full ppe oh, for oh, sure yeah. but oh, yeah. anyway after uh, after seven days of round the clock care and, and one of the dirtiest jobs you could ever possibly imagine um ruth released a huge huge amount of a fecal bolus and why don't you guess how large this this poop was after Um, she hadn't gone for a week because they eat like a certain percentage of their body weight a day and don't try to calculate it joe just just give me your give me your uh, gut feeling a hundred pound poo okay i'm gonna go with 250 I think it was 247. Oh, my God. I was so Damn, close. You are so close. You <laughs> are like an elephant poo expert. You should go to vet school. You should. I'm just kidding. 
<laughs> That's uh, that is daunting and a little terrifying. My God, who had to clean that up? I don't want to know. I think they actually preserved it. So. Oh, no. <laughs> That's a big jar. And she she did trumpet while she uh, while she released it. So really? it was a good day for everyone. Wow. <laughs> so she was pleased. Yeah. Yeah. That's, so that's she had a, an ob- obstruction for a while or something. Yes. Yeah. 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 Okay. So she uh, she had you know what we would call an obstruction with accompanying ileus, which means that you know her gut transit time completely stopped. Yeah. Uh, so she wasn't she wasn't moving anything. That's awful. Um, so treatments were elephant sized enemas, lots and lots of laxatives uh, to do a single treatment for her. I had to go to the drugstore routinely to get different types of laxatives and psyllium or, you know, some people might be familiar with uh, Bisacodal, which is Dolcolax, you know, mm-hmm. which is one of the common just laxative brands that you could get. A single dose for her was about 65 Packets. Dolcolax individual pills. Whoa. So Ooh. I would... Uh, go into the pharmacy, uh, you know, because again, this was, you know, an emergency and we're just going through everything that we possibly can. And I would go to a, you know, check out the bill for a dose would be about $90. And the look on the cashier's face <laughs> was priceless. And I had to say on numerous occasions, I was like, it's I do not, not have me. an extreme eating disorder. This is for my elephant. Please don't judge me. She, yeah, yeah, she's breaking bad. <laughs> <laughs> With Dolcolax. Yeah. Oh, no. That's wild. I mean, literally wild. Now, at Moat, you've got a whole different group of organisms. It's not your first time working with marine organisms, though, right? Definitely not. And uh, it's, uh, you know, different challenges and different adaptations in a different way. Um, You know, so here we're working with anything from tiny little fish to our sea turtles to our sharks, our stingrays, um, you know, all of the stranding animals that came in, um, our otters, our crocodiles, you know, so there's a very big diversity and and some people might think that in an aquarium you've got less diversity than in a zoo Um, and I think there's actually been more diversity when you're working with aquatic species but the same principles apply you know where you have to think outside the box um, and know that one size does not fit all all, by any stretch you know so that's a very important part of my job is just trying to think of you know different treatments and ways that we can apply uh, things to some of these animals that are a lot more challenging. And just doing like a checkup differs from animal to animal. Some you might be able to handle, some you might not. Absolutely. Mm, yeah. Absolutely. Like our otters, I think they work, you call protected contact, I guess. Oh my goodness, yeah. yeah. Protected contact, and I rely very heavily on their trainers uh, who have wonderful relationships with them and that are able to train them, you know, what we call husbandry behaviors. And yeah. these are behaviors that allow the animals to participate in their own health care. Uh, you know, we just did an exam on the otters yesterday. Um, they had some sores on their feet, probably from playing a little bit too roughly. Mm-hmm. But the animals are so well trained that they're able to come right up, go into a chute, present their foot so that I can see their foot. You know, whereas if they didn't have that training, it would require catching them, injecting them, putting them under anesthesia, you know, all just to be able to look at their feet. So that relationship that the animals have with the trainers and then my relationship with the trainers is absolutely crucial for success, not only to be able to diagnose some of these problems, but also, you know, to help the animals overall and to give them the best welfare that we can. Absolutely. It sounds, you know, a lot less invasive or uh, hands-on manhandling of the animal. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. One of my mentors uh, told me the story of when she had to work with some giant apes, and the animal had just a little area of hair loss, and she had to dart him through the fence, you know, at 50 feet away, Mm -hmm. and just to get a look at it, because he was very 
aggressive. He was kind of an angry old man. Yeah. Let's say yeah. that. I don't, I don't know what that's like. <laughs> <laughs> he, he caught the dart midair, looked at it, and then proceeded to throw it back in her face. Oh, really? So, oh. Wow. <laughs> so I think that was stressful for all parties involved, you know, just to look at a little area of hair loss, which is similar to what the trainer saw in the otters, you know. So Obviously, his ninja reflexes were not inhibited. <laughs> yeah. That hair loss did not affect his ninja skills. Wow. That's an ape that's got, yeah, moves, yeah. <laughs> so... We don't have any fish like that, do we? Uh, thankfully, <laughs> thankfully, no. They just will spit bubbles at me, you know, oh, which okay. is good you know, still That's hurts good. your feelings, but there's no dart with, you know. I just want to know if I'm walking through the aquarium, is there some tanks I should beware of? <laughs> <laughs> so well, people, people are worried about sharks until they learn more about them, but woof, working with an ape, that's hard. Um so you're but working with our animals has got to be just as hard just as hard different ways yeah like i wouldn't want to wrestle a shark i don't no. think they do <laughs> you know they no. the trainer's been working really really hard with the sharks you know to be able to get baseline weights on them because it's the same type of thing you know if something goes wrong with the shark how do you how do you treat it well the first thing that you need is okay well how much does it weigh and how do you weigh an animal that's in the water mm -hmm. so it's a much bigger production than just stepping on a scale like you would with your dog, you know, or even um, like a bird or something like that, that you could get an easy weight on. You have to train the animal to go into a sling, you know, so they have to not be afraid of the sling in the first place. And they have to be comfortable with that in order to lift it up out of the water, which you need a crane for, you know, so it's a, it's a huge team production, even just to do a uh, simple thing. So that husbandry, I think, is kind of one of the most important aspects of you know doing medicine here and uh we're, we're doing a lot of work with that which is really positive yeah absolutely nice. uh, we've seen our um manatees our resident manatees hugh and buffett i i believe their caregivers have trained them to get into yes. a sling and be weighed and so we've seen that at work and it looks like a big job yeah so you're i was looking at your bio and you have a lot of different interests um <laughs> if, if i may list a few <laughs> uh, aside from the sheer number of animals um you have interests like animal nutrition behavior uh, integrative medicine modalities and animal welfare rescue and rehabilitation that's a lot but can you can you take one of those and unpack a little bit about how you work with that subject what is animal modality it was uh, an, uh it was integrative medicine modalities oh, that's the most is that? so <laughs> that's kind of the application of of new and different techniques that you wouldn't necessarily you know think together so more like alternative treatments, um, like herbal therapy or laser, stem cell therapy. You know, these are all some uh, different examples of things. That Candles, I, uh, lavender. <laughs> no, uh, no. Singing a nice song. Yeah. Uh, no. <laughs> Hippy dippy. No. Uh, okay. <laughs> yeah, no, one of, my, one of my favorite parts about the field of, you know, being a wildlife veterinarian or an exotic veterinarian is that you, it's again that thinking outside of the box. You know, when you're working in small animal medicine, there's a lot of tried and true treatments. You know, if you have an animal with pancreatitis, you know, there's, there's very clear treatments that you can do to fix the animal. And it's really not the case um, in aquatic medicine, you know, or zoo medicine or wildlife or anything. So thinking outside of the box um, and integrating, you know, different types of of treatments, um, you know, that you can do to try and get a better, better success, you know, whether it's acupuncture, laser therapy, um, you know, herbal treatments, you know, can, can really be beneficial. Um, 
I worked with a veterinarian who was also my mentor, you know, who was very, very heavily into acupuncture and herbal hmm. treatment, which I, when I first started, was very against. I thought it was a lot of hocus pocus, yeah. I guess, right. for, yeah. for lack of a better word. And I said, you know, this is good in thought. Maybe it makes owners feel better about certain things. And I was like, but Did I don't it believe work? it. <laughs> and I saw animals that were completely paralyzed, could not walk, you know, dogs and cats completely turn around, you know, from laser and acupuncture and, really? uh, you know, animals that had very short time left to live with really bad cancer yeah. um, have months extended onto their life, you know, from different herbal remedies. So it really made me a believer, wow. you know, seeing some of these cases. So I've become very, I'm very open to mm -hmm. a lot of things. I'm, I'm never going to say no right away, you know, to an idea. Yeah. So that's kind of uh, what I like about integrated medicine modality. Animal nutrition goes right along with that. I think that yeah. nutrition is one of the pillars of health. So having a really strong knowledge and background in nutrition, um, especially for individual species. I mean, you and when you're in veterinary school, you learn about nutrition for dogs and cats and horses and cows. But how does that apply to fish and sea turtles? Yeah. Um, you know, what do you do if you have a seahorse that doesn't eat? You know, how do you make a... You a, can't treat it like a normal horse. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to give it some hay, no. No. That was very astute, Joe. Yeah, you can't chew it either. <laughs> So yeah, no, it's uh, it's it's really fun. You know, you you never stop learning. That's the best part about it. That is cool. That's awesome. Yeah, it's sort of like you have to leave no stone unturned when trying to treat the animals. I I remember in one case where it was brought up. Um, I think you might have even brought up the idea of using something called bacteriophages to treat an infection. That was kind of an, an interesting idea. Those are viruses that I guess affect the bacteria themselves. Exactly. That's yeah. something that we're currently looking into. So anytime you have an infection, an antibiotic is going to be your first line of thought. But what happens if the bacteria become resistant. So mm -hmm. the idea of bacteriophages are basically viruses that, you know, target specific bacteria. Um, it's not a approved treatment, you know, it's still in the experimental stages, but when I first started learning about them, they've been used primarily in human cases, you know, humans that have, uh, there was, you know, one case he, it was a man and he had a horrible intestinal infection and he was close to dead. You know, the doctors had given him a, a death sentence essentially. So in a desperate plea, they said, let's try this treatment and it saved his life. Any of the research they're doing here on, um, you know, alternative um, treatments for things like MRSA and um, the, other, the other diseases that they're doing down in some of the labs here, have you talked to anybody about those? I have not yet, but I am uh, really interested in getting to learn and more from the researchers because there's so much work that's being done here. Oh, the immunology yeah. labs here. Yeah, they're insane. Incredible. They're yeah. yeah, we have a whole marine biomedical and immunology group here and they, they always amaze us. Um, I was going to ask you about your own uh, research history with, uh, you had a few papers recently I was seeing with elephants, spotted eagle rays, that kind of thing. <laughs> As broad that's, as all that's that. A, that's a cross there. Yeah, right? A little different. Not together. <laughs> Not together. A spotted elephant is what she was trying to create. That's a new species. <laughs> <laughs> Don't think they hybridize easily. <laughs> oh, no? Okay. So what, what kind of study, what's a good example of the kind of studies you've worked on? Are those... Um, they're, they're very diverse. So I did my master's in comparative immunology, which when I went into it was not something I ever thought that I would be interested in. I, most of my background had been in animal behavior and training, mm -hmm. uh, mostly with marine mammals. So going into fish immunology was 
I didn't think I was going to like it, for lack of a better word. But it was a great position, and it was a great opportunity, and I ended up absolutely loving it. And while I was working on my master's, you know, I learned that I liked a lot of different aspects of research. Um, and I wasn't sure about, you know, becoming a veterinarian or becoming, you know, doing a PhD. And I figured as a vet, you are able to kind of straddle the line and do both roles. Um, you can do research, but you also can do the medicine. So, so far, you know, it's been mainly the cases that I've worked on, you know, that have been the kind of the leaders in where my research interests have been. Um, you know, we talked about my the older elephants that I worked with, you know, and that resulted in, I think we just got our second paper out on that. And there's uh, one more project that I'm working on as more of a survey on geriatric geriatric care of elephants and how that can apply to all species as care gets better in zoos and aquariums, our animals are getting older. So mm -hmm. you're seeing a lot of problems that you wouldn't normally see. You know, we talked about the impaction in the elephant and that was most likely due to the fact that she had very worn teeth. Mm -hmm. um, and with proper nutrition changes, you know, we were able to, you know, not only fix the problem, but improve her welfare. And we see things like that in a, in a lot of animals, um, you know, in dolphins and manatees and sea turtles too, you know, as they age. So, you know, looking, geriatric care um, is something that I'm particularly interested in. Uh, and also, you know, some of those integrative treatments. Um, but really, I guess it is very, my interests are very diverse. So I let the cases and the patients kind of guide um, guide the focus. Well, you're in the right state for geriatric care. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do animals, not humans. Oh, let okay. me make that clear. <laughs> okay. Okay. There's plenty of doctors for that for us. Although humans. you'd be surprised the number of times when someone finds out you're a vet and they're like, oh, let me show you this. And I'm like, nope, nope. Let, nope. <laughs> nope. <laughs> don't want to see that. Sorry. <laughs> I am surprised. Put your pants back on, sir. <laughs> oh boy! Well, yeah. So it sounds like um, well, it's not, you've given us an idea of sort of some of the interesting things in the field that interests you. You're kind of driven by the cases you treat or trends in you know things like integrative medicine. Are there any other sort of trends or ways that the field is moving that you think are really cool? I think it's moving very quickly, you know, and yeah. in a lot of different directions, and that's one of the the real joys of the field. I always thought that as you got older and the more you studied, the more narrow your focus was supposed to be. Um, and with me, it's the opposite. <laughs> it's more like, oh, well, let's let's go learn about spotted eagle rays and sea turtles and fish, and why not do that? So uh, there's there's a lot of really interesting. Um, that's got to keep you busy. It does. It keeps you very busy. So sometimes I wish I could focus a little bit more, um, but I get excited about a lot of things. Wow. So in your small amount of free time, <laughs> well, what else do you like to do besides work with animals? Uh, besides everything veterinary, um, I, I read a lot. Mm -hmm. I'm a runner, so I do a lot of half marathons, and I, and I cook a lot. So. Were, you, were you in the uh, recent half uh, music marathon or whatever. I was, was not. I was yeah. too late to sign up for it, yeah, but right. that uh, it looks like a great run. It's, it's, on it's a fun one, yeah. yeah. And if you, you sign up early, it's cheaper. If you're going to be here in April, you've got to run here. for the turtles. Oh, yes. yep, yep. Yes, I am signed up for that. She signed up yes. for a run. All Yay. right. Yay. Yay. Run for the turtles. Yeah, that's our oldest fundraiser, so I'm glad you're, you're joining. Is there anything else uh, you'd like to, to mention or bring up uh, before we uh, end our, our, our most pleasant talk here with you i've really enjoyed this it has been lovely uh no i'm uh, happy to talk about anything and great conversation you guys are lovely and i 
Hope well, thank you, you. Have a magical day. It's mostly me, though, right? <laughs> it's all Joe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's all Joe and his <clears throat> radio voice. <laughs> this is Mobarine. Uh, okay. All but right. Thank you very much for your coming in today. Thank and, you for having uh, me. This was we, a pleasure. Uh, we will wrap this one up and hails. Yeah, we'll see you in two weeks for another episode of Two C Fans at Mo. Bye.